The following podcast, part of our true crime series, Missing Pieces, explores the case against Catherine Hoggle, a young Maryland mother indicted by a grand jury on two counts of murder in the 2014 disappearance of her two children, Sarah and Jacob. Catherine is currently being held in a psychiatric hospital found to be incompetent to stand trial. Her next court hearing in Montgomery County, Maryland, is scheduled for the fall of 2018. As the search continues for Sarah and Jacob Hoggle, missing since early September 2014, Montgomery County prosecutors pursue their case against the children's mother, Catherine Hoggle. She's locked up at a psychiatric hospital in Maryland. Hoggle was 27 when her two youngest kids disappeared. She was the last person known to be with Sarah and Jacob, three and two years old when they went missing. Police say Catherine has told detectives a bunch of stories. She left them with people she knows. They're at a nearby park. The children's father, Troy Turner, says Catherine told him she took Sarah and Jacob to a daycare center, but didn't know which one. Catherine reportedly told her father she was taking Jacob to get pizza before he disappeared. That was on a Sunday night. Later telling her parents Jacob was on a play date. Sarah vanished sometime the next morning. Catherine Hoggle would initially be charged with misdemeanor crimes for neglecting Sarah and Jacob and not cooperating with the police to find them. I think there's a good chance we figure out what ultimately happened to the kids through the court system. Um, I think we'll get there. That's Montgomery County Police Captain Darren Frank, head of the department's major crimes division. He says other notable cases he's investigated have dragged on longer than this one ending with satisfying resolutions. The difference with those cases is that, is that uh, this wasn't a stranger that did it to them. This is the, their own mother. Um, I think you'd have a much different conversation if it was, if it, if it was a stranger case, um, but this isn't. This is, uh, this is a mother that, that uh, uh, um, uh, plotted out and did the things that she did. Police do not consider this a case of neglect. To them, it's a sordid story of murder. But what did Catherine Hoggle do with her two children? Well, we still don't know. I have had many moments with Catherine, and I've said the same thing each time. This is the most unfair situation for the oldest sibling. That is where my heart breaks. That is Lindsay Hoggle, Catherine's mother, speaking to us after a court hearing last year. And so as a mother, and I'm her mother, this needs to end. We need to solve this mystery, whatever the mystery is. Troy Turner and Catherine Hoggle had three children together but were never married. Troy says they'd met some 10 years ago when Catherine was a server and he a bouncer at the Green Turtle, a bar and restaurant in Montgomery County, Maryland, just north of Washington, D.C. Their oldest child, a boy, is now nine years old. We are not identifying him by name in this podcast. He calls Catherine Catherine. He's angry with her. Uh, you know, he, he still has nightmares sometimes that she's trying to hunt him down. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. Does uh, he think about Sarah and Jacob, talk oh, about them? Constantly. Um, at night when we pray, a lot of times he'll still ask God to be our GPS and lead us to him. Um, he, you know, he, he loves his brother and sister. He misses them greatly. He, I'm shocked at how well he remembers them because how young he was. But he was, what, five? Yeah, missing? He, yeah, and, he, and he's nine now. Right, 
and he'll, you know, and, and he'll, he'll recant stories I haven't told him about, that there's no other way he could know it but to remember it. So, um, you know, they're, they're heavy on his heart and they're, and they're at the front of his mind a lot of the time. Does he get counseling to help him through, or like professional? We, or, or we took him to counseling originally, and after about four or five sessions, I was told basically we were wasting our money because he's amazing. He's just, uh, and you know, they said that you know, as he gets older, he may need to go back. As he gets a different understanding, there may be several times he's in and out throughout his life. But, um, but she said he's grieving. He's, you know, he's. If he wasn't, she'd be even more worried. You know, if he just was like, ah, nothing's wrong. Um, but he, he's doing everything normal, and he's amazing. Troy says he believes Catherine had plans to kill their oldest child as well, but her scheme was interrupted after leading Jacob and Sarah to their deaths. Troy says he last spoke to Catherine by phone about a year ago. I said, I know you killed them. I said, just tell me where they are, and I will try to help you avoid some of the time you're going to spend in jail. I will do whatever I have to do. I said, I, I said I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to try to get you off because you killed my kids. I said, but I will try to help you and make it better on you if you tell me where they are. What'd she say? She said, Troy, I didn't, she said, she said, she said, I gave them to someone. Someone has the kids. I said, someone knows where the bodies are? And she said, no. She said, they're taking care of them. It was someone I trusted. And I said, then just bring them home. A grand jury has indicted Catherine Hoggle for the murders of Sarah and Jacob, those murder charges coming three years after the children went missing. John, real well. How are you, man? Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, that's really great. appreciate that's it. Great, great yeah, to no see you. John McCarthy is the elected state's attorney, the top prosecutor for Montgomery County, Maryland. He's had the job for the past 12 years, was chief deputy state's attorney for many years before that. McCarthy is a dashing figure full of energy and compassion. He's coached youth basketball for many years and looks the part. John's a passionate advocate for justice. A regular presence on the local TV news in Washington, we met McCarthy in his office in downtown Rockville, that's the county seat, in the same building as the criminal courtrooms. Where does this case stand right now? Catherine's been charged with murder, right? Yes, yeah, she, she, uh, she was charged, uh, which actually leads into something else I'm sure we're going to get into. She was charged for uh, three years with simply misdemeanors, uh, uh, basically child abductions, things like that. Uh, uh, which were misdemeanor charges here in the state of Maryland. Uh, approximately six months ago, uh, we ultimately went to the grand jury, sought an indictment uh, for the murder of the two children against Catherine, and that was the grand jury returned a, a true bill, and she is now stands indicted and facing two counts of murder. But you don't have the bodies. We do not have the bodies. We do not have the bodies. Uh, Could you go to trial? You can't yet go to trial because she's been deemed not mentally healthy enough right. to stand trial. Yeah, we're not in a position right now to go to trial. Um, uh, we need her to be found competent to stand trial, which legally means she has to be able to, in a meaningful fashion, be able to communicate and cooperate with her attorney. Uh, Catherine did have a pre-existing, based on documentation and hospitalizations, a pre-existing mental condition, which is continuing, and uh, generally speaking, through psychotropic medications and uh, therapy, people are restored to competency, and that's what we're waiting for in this instance. We're sitting at a large conference table in McCarthy's office. The Hoggle case file is stacked in a cardboard box on a bookshelf nearby. I sit at that desk and I look at that box every day. Mm. You know, most of the time, it's something that's under my desk, I pull it out, you work Just on it. Just to remind yourself. Well, you know, you, you, you know, 
we're doing something with it all the time. The Montgomery County Circuit Court judge handling the case is Michael Mason. He has scheduled another competency hearing for later this year. Catherine had been hauled into court every few months or so over the past three years, but each time, doctors treating her at the Clifton T. Perkins Psychiatric Hospital in Jessup, Maryland, have declared Catherine to be incompetent to stand trial. And the judge has accepted that each time. At the last hearing, Judge Mason told Catherine to come back in a year. Again, state's attorney John McCarthy. Uh, basically, what he's done is he said to the hospital, look, I'm putting it off a year. If, in the interim, her status changes, let me know and we'll come back instantly to court. But having repeated court appearances that were essentially meaningless, uh, Judge Mason just put it off a year and led to the fact that we've been waiting three years to restore her to competency and we've made little progress in that direction. I think the decision by the judge to hold off an, an additional year probably is a wise decision. How frustrating, though, is that for you as prosecutors, <clears throat> for this community, for the family? Well, I think obviously because it's such a deeply personal matter, and I've met repeatedly with Troy Turner, who is the father of both of these children, uh, and members of his family. And I've actually met with Catherine's mother many, many times. Uh, there is tremendous frustration for the families in, in bringing this matter to resolution in general, uh, but also with restoring competency. That's what they say. They call it restoring competency and getting her back to a place where she can, uh, can assist meaningfully her attorney in the trial. Um, you know, there, there are some frustrations here, and the frustrations for the family are very deeply personally held frustrations because they've lost two beautiful, lovely children, and, and they've seen no end in sight to this matter that's now into its fourth year, actually. Uh, for us, the frustration is that um, there were prior hospitalizations. She had decompensated in the past, and she was restored to competency on a couple of occasions after civil commitments, not criminal commitments, completely independent matters. So the fact that we've gone through this process with her, if you look at her history, and she's been able to be restored, personal frustration is that We've done this before. Why are we not making the same kind of progress that happened previously on prior hospitalizations? That's where my own personal frustration comes from. The matter of Catherine's mental illness and her competency to stand trial has frustrated and angered Troy Turner for years now. And this isn't an uh, indictment against people with mental health issues. It's funny because people say, well, she's paranoid schizophrenic. Well, let me tell you something. Um, First of all, if I was a paranoid schizophrenic person and I heard someone say that, I would be deeply offended uh, because there's maybe 3% of them who are violent. There's more people who are mentally, quote unquote, sane that are violent, you know, percentage wise even. I'm not talking Absolutely. about because there's more of us or whatever without mental issues, which right. we all probably have somewhere. Um, there's more violent people who are not diagnosed with mental issues. Um, so you're I, not equating Catherine's mental health issues with the fact that I she's been charged with murder. I would it's never, believed that she right. killed her kids. She's, your kids. She's a criminal. She's a, a, a terrible human being who, 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 um, who did terrible things to two children. Um, this was planned out. This wasn't a mental break. So what you're saying is Catherine's mental health issues had nothing to do with what she did to your children? Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... She, she, I'm not saying she's never had mental illness or whatever, but here's what I can tell you. Um, at the time that she took the kids uh, and her family, you can't backtrack on it because they've said it in the media, 
Uh, she had greatly improved. She was she was confident to be out on the street. She was, um, we, had, we had, like I said, we had one of the best days our family had ever had. But she still was not well enough for you to feel comfortable for her to have there the was, children by there, herself. It wasn't about well enough. There was never going to be a well enough because I knew where she had gotten to in 2013. And medication can work for a certain amount of time and then stop working. Um, there would never have been a time. Just too risky in your mind? Yes. I'm not going to take, if it's a 1% risk. The attorney representing Catherine is David Felsen. We met him in part two of this podcast. In the United States, we don't have trials against people who can't defend themselves. Uh, and the, as a medical diagnosis and a, and a legal determination has been made that Catherine is not in a condition as a result of a mental disease, she's not in a position to be able to defend herself. And so what happens pursuant to statute is the case gets put on hold unless and until someone is brought back to competency. And that's where this one is right now. She's, yes. she's and, and what happens in the meantime? You just wait? You, she'll get, she'll get, you'll, do you visit her? Do you talk to her? Or she just sees the doctors every now and then? Or will they maybe call you and say, look, we think we've got a break here. She, she seems to be coming back. Well, every case is different. Um, she is detained at the Clifton T. Perkins Hospital. Um, she participates in a treatment plan and periodically she is evaluated by the evaluation team, which as I understand it, is a separate team. They look at the records, they look at how she's doing, they uh, conduct a variety of interviews, it depends on where they are sort of in the process, and then the doctors make a determination um, both as to her competency and whether or not she is a danger to either herself or the community. And for the last three and a half years, that they have made that consistent diagnosis. And, and I think it's important to note, the way this process starts, the, the issue of incompetency, it's not something that somebody just makes up. Um, there's a doctor, <clears throat> when, when any defendant gets arrested, if there is a question about competency, about um, a, whole, a whole variety of mental health issues. There is a doctor at the jail that does an initial screening uh, here in Montgomery County. And that doctor then makes a recommendation about whether or not there should be a further screening. And that's exactly what happened. The county doctor at the jail uh, saw these issues with Catherine, recommended that she be involved in further evaluation, that's what the court ordered back in, in September three and a half years ago. There was a, this evaluation that we've talked about where she was found to be incompetent. And then periodically, we come back looking at the evaluations as they're conducted by the state doctors. As best you can describe it, what is her issue? Does she not know what day it is? What, like, what's, her, what's holding her back? in her particular case, from being competent? What, well, is, I, what issues does she have that you can talk about? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really speak to, to all the issues for a couple reasons. Number one, I don't know them all. Number two, I'm not a, a medical doctor, so I, I can't opine as to what the issues are. Um, but it has been made public, not by us, but it has been made public, that there was a, and there has been a very significant history of paranoid schizophrenia. Um, I think it, I think one of the judges, at least one of the judges, uh, articulated that that's a continuing diagnosis and that there are problems associated with that. Somebody has to be able to, in, when they're charged with a crime, they have to be able to assist in their own defense. If as a result of a mental disease or defect, and in this case we're talking about 
a mental disease, they're not able to think rationally. They may not be able to remember something. They may not be able to articulate something. The doctors evaluate these things and then they render an opinion based on that. Um, the doctor's opinions, I think it's fair to say, have been consistent with the prior diagnoses before any allegations were made. And I think it's fair to say that the doctor's uh, determinations have been consistent in, in and among themselves over the course of time. Now, sometimes Catherine, according to the doctors, is doing better. Sometimes she has setbacks. Um, I can't, again, I can't really speak to them. I'm, uh, I certainly don't see her every day, but we are in contact with her. Uh, I can tell you that I actually spoke with her today. Um, What'd she say? How's she doing? Well, I, I, I know why you're asking me the question. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I can't answer it. Um, as her attorney, uh, anything that she says to me or that I say to her is covered by the attorney-client privilege. That's the same for any defendant in any case. In the meantime, Mr. McCarthy, the state's attorney, says the clock ticks. Sarah and Jacob remain missing and their mother locked up, her secrets safe. The police have extensively both at the time of the initial disappearance and, and in the years that have passed, have followed up you know, hundreds and dozens of leads. But obviously, uh, based on the position of the case, it is the state's allegation against her uh, that she is responsible for the death of the children. And, and, and quite candidly, one of the things you do not have to prove when you go to trial is, you know, you don't have to prove a specific method of, of death and you do not have to prove, you don't even have to produce a, a body. I, I, think, I, I think because of, you know, crime shows on TV, people are now familiar with the fact that you can, in fact, get convictions without bodies. That, uh, you know, in the course of my career, that's pretty novel. The first time that ever happened in Maryland, that was my case, but that was back in 1988. Uh, and it was one of the first cases we ever used DNA evidence in, uh, in a case called State versus Gregory too. But this is, uh, uh, there is a frustration here. Uh, and there are some legal limits to how long we can wait for her to be restored to competency which adds maybe to the frustration or to the urgency of trying to restore her to competency. What does that mean? We may never know, or at some point, do you put her hand and, over a, a, a flame and say, you, well, you speak? Well, we're not putting hands over flames. Uh, but but uh, under Maryland law, if you're charged simply with a misdemeanor, the legislature passed a number of years ago a law that said, you must restore a person to competency within three years. And if you can't do that, that person shall be released from the hospital. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier that we went from the misdemeanor charges to, to the uh, felony charges, the murder charges. Well, one of the reasons that we didn't indict initially for the felonies is that the grand jury becomes available to you or continues to be available to you as an investigative tool until an indictment comes. You are not permitted to use the grand jury as an investigative tool after you get an indictment. There was no reason for us to rush to indictment for three years, so we waited. What happens or what, you know, obviously the same information that was available to us three years ago we had when we went to the grand jury. Why did we have to go six months ago to the grand jury? Well, they would have released her. Under Maryland law, they were only misdemeanors. She would have had to be mandatorily released. Uh, she still had a child on the street living with, with his father um, in order to get additional time to allow the doctors to restore to competency, we had to move from the misdemeanors to the felonies. Now, Maryland does have an additional limitation. Now that she's charged 
with the felonies of murder, we now have five years to restore her to competency. Uh, if within that five-year period of time, we are unable to restore her to competency, she will have to be mandatorily released. Uh, the logic behind that is that the legislature made a decision. Uh, this is not a judicial decision. This is a decision made by lawmakers in Maryland that a person who has a sort of a fixed mental condition should not be able to be held in perpetuity waiting a trial. Uh, uh, quite candidly, you know, in the abstract, I think everybody would probably understand that. In particular, when you apply that law to these particular facts, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are greatly frustrated by the fact that she could potentially be released if the hospital doesn't continue or make some progress towards her being restored to competency. One of those people is Troy Turner. He expressed his frustration in Annapolis recently, testifying before the Maryland Senate's Judiciary Committee, trying to convince state lawmakers to get rid of that loophole in the law. Now, as far as the whereabouts of Jacob and Sarah Hoggle, that remains a mystery. And I asked Captain Frank whether he thinks there's a chance the children are still alive. We would love to think that way for Troy. I mean, we would love for that to be a reality, but I mean, I don't think any of a, it, I don't expect that at all at this point, based on, based on what we know, based on the evidence in the case. I, mean, I just don't see that as happening. I mean, the facts are the facts. And, and as much as we want to wish and hope, um, that doesn't change, that's not going to change what happened here. Um, so, you know, you, you hate to be, and that was one of the difficulties we had, we had with Troy at, at the beginning, not with Troy, but, you know, our difficulty as people, as fathers, as, 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 as uh, husbands is saying, you know, Troy, I'm sorry. I, I know we can't, I know we can't um, show you their bodies right now, but um, these, these children are dead. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's just no other outcome for this, you know, with all the leads that we've tracked down, with the behaviors we've seen, with the fact pattern that's here. It, it just, it's not, it's not, it's not going to go that way, but we can always have hope. And yet the one person police, prosecutors, and Troy Turner believe can solve this haunting mystery remains silent. And Catherine's attorney says in terms of her being able to stand trial, it's plain and simple. She has to be able to help you, is that right? Absolutely. She, she alone, she can't just sit there and then because you're a good lawyer and you know the case, argue it on her behalf. That's not enough. Right. She, the defendant herself, has to be able to participate. Right, and if you think about it, I mean, it, it is in, in any case, but we'll talk about it in terms of any criminal case, it's the defendant's case, it's the state against the defendant. The defendant is the one, in any case, who can make, who makes the decisions as to how the case wishes, should proceed. Um, the defendant provides information to their attorney, to the defendant's attorney. The defendant may wish to take the stand. The defendant may know information about witnesses that testify that could be used in cross-examination. And if somebody can't do that as a, as a matter of medical diagnosis, it wouldn't be fair to try them. Even though they have a great lawyer, they need to participate. I, I greatly uh, appreciate the, the compliments, but it's their case. In fact, the Supreme Court is now dealing with an issue. Um, the argument was just the other day, I was reading about it, where a, a 
person charged in, in, in some pretty gruesome uh, murders where there was a lot of forensic evidence, they, the, the lawyer took a, a tact of arg arguing second degree murder versus first degree murder to try and save the defendant from the death penalty. The defendant, despite the ample forensic evidence to the contrary, wanted the lawyer to argue innocence, that he wasn't there, that he wasn't the person doing it. And the Supreme Court is considering whether or not that lawyer's failure to do that entitles the defendant to a new trial. These are, it's not only the defendant's rights, it's every citizen's rights in these circumstances. Right? A lawyer is an advocate, but an advocate for the defendant. And any defendant in any case has those rights. Now in this case, the difficulty becomes that as a result of this diagnosis, Catherine can't participate in, in any real way in her own defense. So we can't even get to what I think the, the public thinks is square one in terms of the resolution of the case. Where are the kids? What happened to them? Could she be faking? How do you know? How do the doctors know she just is pretending to be mentally ill? Well, I guess that's, that's something that other people have brought up. I find that a difficult question to, to ask for get answer. Uh, she's being evaluated by state doctors. They are qualified. They are paid to do this. Um, I would think it is not in the, in the state's interest to have somebody housed at a facility while cases just keep pending. These are the state doctors, and it's not only one doctor. Remember I told you it's the first doctor who was working for the county, and then the other doctors at Perkins. Uh, It'd be tough to fake this? Is that what I you're saying? I can't imagine that someone would be able to uh, fake incompetency ever, given what I understand the standards to be, and I've dealt with other cases involving competency issues. Uh, I think it would be impossible to fake. Somebody who's known Catherine for many years has his doubts about that, even though Troy Turner says he once helped to get Catherine committed because of her mental state, he now believes her lawyers are playing games. She's being coached on staying incompetent. Because she wants to stay there of course, at the mental hospital there. and not being in jail. Yeah, she's comfortable there. Um, jail, she's not comfortable. Uh, I don't know what happened to her the first two weeks when she was in jail. I don't know if she got her ass whooped or anything. I don't know what happened. What I do know is uh, she definitely was scared to death there. She wasn't comfortable there. She didn't feel safe there. She got to Perkins. She got to a mental institution. That's where she's comfortable now. Uh, she's allowed to stay off by herself. She's allowed to, to go sit and eat. She's allowed to do whatever she wants to do there, pretty much. I mean, maybe it sucks to be locked down, but I don't even think for her that sucks. Um, but it's not jail. Right. It's not jail. It's better than the alternative. And um, and what do you, what do you, what what are your thoughts about her attorney? You you kind of hinted there. He's a complete dirtbag. What's that? I'm not hinting. At it. He's a complete dirtbag. Um, he's a scumbag. Any other attorney with half a heart or conscience of of anything, and even in doing what's best for your client, would have advised her to cut a deal and come clean or something. He would have advised her a way to get to lessen the sentence. Maybe to maybe you stay in Perkins your whole life but you don't go to jail or whatever. Um, but tell us what you there's, did. There's no human being that would purposely have a father out here doing the things that I'm doing, and, and you have a means to the information and try to keep it shut down. 
Those are pretty harsh words, and Catherine's attorney, David Felsen, says he's heard them from time to time. I think there's a, there's a slight misperception as to what we're doing here. The proceedings in this case are not, in, in a strict sense, about finding Sarah and Jacob. The proceedings in this case are the state's attempt to sanction Catherine for what it believes is criminal conduct. That's what's at issue. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, unfortunately, this is not a made-for-TV movie where if there's a resolution to the questions that that's going to be the end of the story. The state is prosecuting Ms. Hoggle. That's what we're dealing with. Uh, and so... Whether the bodies are ever found, if there are bodies... The solution, the solution to everybody's questions are not necessarily ever going to be answered because there are so many questions and this procedure, and I, I've said this several times, is not about that. It's about the state's allegations against Ms. Hoggle. And for now, those two murder charges just hang in the balance. Again, prosecutor John McCarthy. Can you, can you tell me, can you tell our listeners, what theory do you have? What happened to these kids? Oh. What, what, know, what, do we know? Do we know? What, what, you know did she take them to Pennsylvania and, and leave them with a friend? Did she bury them, kill them, throw them down a storm drain? What, what, what is yeah. As far as you guys are concerned, what's your theory? Well, can I, can I say, um, try your case right here on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I really can't answer your direct question because I think it would be a comment on the evidence. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I just don't think I can even get close to answering that question. Do you have, can you say whether you have ideas as to what happened? Yeah, you know, obviously this has been an extensively investigated case. Um, um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we obviously have a theory of what happened. You know, as a matter of law, let me say this. We don't have to, you know, proving a murder does not require you to prove an exact methodology for the murder, does not require you to, uh, to produce a body. Uh, uh, again, cases can be made circumstantially. And uh, she was the last one seen with them. They're yeah, now they're, gone. I mean, they've the, been these gone. Are, yeah, these are, these, look, these are circumstantial cases, and I think. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. A chain, a chain of custody issues. It's very interesting. A chain of custody usually refers to an object that that is in the possession of someone. When you're dealing with um, cases involving injuries to children or death of children, uh, chain of custody issues, which is just a fancy way of saying access to the child at the critical time, is 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 often a very key ingredient of what you're going to try to prove. So if her competency is restored and she's not telling you anything, and you don't find the bodies of Sarah and Jacob, you could still take her to trial and convict her of the murders. Yeah, uh, yes, that, that, that's a, a no-body murder conviction is not unheard of in this state. Uh, we, uh, when this case went to the grand jury and, and when we made the determination that we were going to seek the indictment, that's, that's the position we were in. Uh, obviously, it is a difficult case for the reasons you just outlined, but, uh, you know, uh, again, based on the investigation, uh, and 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 the, we were, we were, the grand jury returned an indictment, and she, she look, she's presumed innocent. 
She's entitled to a fair trial. She will have a fair trial. And, and, and we'll have, we have our evidence, and, and, a, and a jury will ultimately determine whether or not she is guilty of the crimes that she's been charged with. Two counts of murder. Two counts of murder. And what about this notion that Catherine might be faking her incompetency just to avoid standing trial and perhaps going to prison? You know, it's interesting. Competency is a mixed question of law and fact. Uh, I, I think incorrectly, uh, people have indicated that the issue of competency is merely a medical determination. I, I don't think that's what the law is, and I don't think that's correct. I think you take medical information and you apply it to a legal standard. A judge could listen to the testimony from the doctors, and like anybody else's testimony, they could accept or reject the testimony. They could, they are permitted. The court could conduct a voir dire if it wanted to. The court could, could conduct a voir dire of the defendant on the record right there themselves and ask questions. You know, very typically in a competency case, questions are, they're, they're generally pretty simple. You know, uh, do you know what you're charged with? Do you know what the maximum penalty is for that offense? Uh, do you know what the role that Mr. Mr. McCarthy plays in this case? Who's, who's the person standing next to you? What's their role? Do you know what a jury trial is? You know, what's going to happen to you if you get convicted? Uh, do, do you, you know, these are the kinds of questions. You know, but, a, but a defendant could say, I have no idea, and be faking it. Yeah, that's well, John McCarthy. That's my lawyer. There's my Aunt Louise. But I'm not going to say that well, because look, I don't want to be found competent and have to face these murder charges. Well, look, can I say that the issue of the, what you're talking about, Bob, is, is, is the issue of malingering, faking being worse than you are, or what sometimes doctors say, faking bad. Uh, the issue of malingering because, to some extent, when you get into the criminal arena and you're talking about either competency or responsibility, there are goals that someone attempts to achieve by presenting themselves in a particular fashion. So whether you are a judge or whether you are a doctor, at some point in time, I think you bring some healthy skepticism to any instance where competency or responsibility is raised by the defense or by the defendant because you have to decide, is this the true presentation or is this a faked presentation. And, and that we, hasn't happened yet in this case? Well, uh, again, it, it has not happened in this case in the sense that, let me say this, I am sure, and again, the doctors at Perkins, in it always, based on their experience, have to consider malingering, faking bad. I am assuming, and I will, you know, that, that they do this in this case as well. You can bet they are. In our next episode, you'll hear from a forensic psychologist who has worked at Perkins, the hospital that's become Katherine Hoggle's home, and will ask the good doctor whether she could be faking her current state of mind to avoid her murder charges.